All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. Welcome back, everybody. This week we are missing our normal main character on the show. Yeah, James isn't here. James isn't here, so I'm Dalton Gray. I'm Ryan Humphreys. And we will be your dynamic duo for this week's couple of episodes. We're going to cover a recent moose hunt that I just got back off of. Uh, I missed the last couple of weeks of podcasts. I was out in the field guiding with a client. He came up to Alaska on his dream hunt. And uh, we'll get into that, uh, the the details that go into that hunt here in a little bit. But uh, thanks for coming back to the show. We hope you guys are enjoying this two-episode format. We're enjoying making them. And uh, Mariah, you got anything interesting that you want to kick off this show with for discussion? I mean, I'll just say this two-episode format when it comes to um, editing is twice as much work. Yeah. So I'm glad everybody else enjoys it. Yeah. Well, it's it's a little easier to digest and not yeah, having... Yeah, it makes sense. Not having quite three hours all in one, all in one um, big mashup, but splitting it up for you guys, making it a little more digestible. Um, and it is a little bit easier for us. We get a little more breaks in between <laughs> while we're recording. Right. So get to consume more Red Bull. So... Anyway, well, we'd appreciate it if you guys like the show, if you'd go uh, subscribe to the show on mm-hmm. whatever platform you're listening on, leave us a, a, a written review and a five-star rating, if you would be so kind, that will greatly help us. And then go to our website and shop for many of our sponsors. We've got all of our discount codes um, on our partners page there that Mariah's built for us. You can find any of our partnerships and sponsors and their, um, their corresponding discount codes to get your discount off your orders off any of their yeah. products today. So, without further ado, we'll just jump into this moose hunt. Alrighty. If, if that sounds good to sounds you, good I, to I think we'll just keep this one pretty black and white, uh, so, pretty pretty straight and simple. Were you on a river, on a lake? Uh, well, the beginning of the hunt, we got, uh, we got flown out in a little bit larger bush, uh, bush plane uh, to a higher mountain strip. Okay. Um, with the knowledge of... We would be moved to a moose spot down on the river system in a few days. So mm-hmm. the client had a grizzly bear tag, a black bear tag, a wolf tag, and a moose locking tag. Okay. So he was basically on an Alaskan safari is what I like to call it. Um, so he had a tag for pretty much anything big game with the exception of caribou, which we saw quite a bit of at the first spot, actually. 
Um, so we landed up at a higher mountain strip. Uh, there were some logistics involved early on in the trip. Uh, there was a little bit of a delay in getting into the field. We won't get into the reasons why, but they were kind of out of our control. So we got into the field about a day late. So we lost a day at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And uh, we landed at this mountain strip. And on the way in there in the plane, we were looking out the sides and, and flying up this valley to the strip. And uh, man, there was bears everywhere. You talk about fall bear hunting conditions and what was good and and where they yeah. are with the berries. There was bears everywhere. It was it was actually pretty impressive to cool. see that many bears. And uh, so anyway, we got landed up in there and camped that first night. And uh, we set up our little um, Cabela's four man dome tent. We just mm-hmm. set up the one tent at the first camp, knowing that we'd get moved in a few days with a super cub uh, down to a moose spot. So I didn't want to set up my tent and his tent and then have to you have to break down the whole right, camp right. so we just set up the one tent and the cots and uh made do there and uh the the first day of hunting uh there was uh th- there were a couple of black bears that were in our valley and we made an approach on one of them and we, we had to go across a a um, fairly large creek uh, to get over across the valley to then start going up to where he was on the blueberry slopes and we got over to the water crossing, and we both had waders back in camp. Okay, um, but we hadn't brought them. I just thought, well, we'll just take off our our leather hiking boots and put them around our necks and just walk across. It was only like calf deep water. Oh, okay, but okay. Um, you know the rocks were pretty slippery, and the client was was uh, was not real comfortable doing that. And so I said, all right, well, we can go back and get our waders or we can wait this bear out and see. But I'll, I'm pretty much going to guarantee that in here in another hour or two. As soon as the sun comes up, he's going to be, he's going to go up and he's going to go up high into the cliffs and he's going to find some shade and he's going to stay up there while it's warm. And, uh, sure enough, about an hour later after us sitting down there watching him, um, he just, and what was strange was when he turned to go up the hill and I say hill, it was a mountain. When he turned to go up that hill, he acted like he was spooked. And this was not a real old bear either. I mean, he was he was okay, and the client was willing to mm-hmm. shoot him, but he wasn't like a huge black bear. Um, but he turned and just ran up the mountain, and he never stopped. He went from about 300 feet up off the river, and he crested out at over 2,000 feet mm-hmm. above the river. He was gonzo. He was long gone. And he, he acted like he had smelled something and like he was spooked. Our wind was good the whole time. He, I, I know he didn't smell us, and we were never inside of a half mile away from him, so he didn't see us or smell us. Uh, but anyway, so that was kind of an interesting thing to point out to the client. Like, look, these bears do go up into sheep country mm-hmm. easily, and they got they got that four wheel drive muscle that all bears have, and right. they they are surprisingly good mountain climbers. So we spent the rest of the day kind of near camp on a little bluff, just glassing the entire valley, and. Didn't turn anything else up for uh, for um, a shooter grizzly bear that day. Uh, we saw a sow and a cub that came within about a half mile of camp. We saw a couple more black bears that we could have gone after, but they were quite a ways down the valley, uh, and and uh, no moose sign. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, yes, we, we would have gone after a legal bull had we found one, but we didn't see any moose to speak of. And so we figured the next day we'll go back to camp, sleep that night, and then we'll grab our waders and we'll walk downstream of, of that creek and we'll just kind of follow the riverbed all day long because it seemed like down valley where it got a little bit lower elevation mm-hmm. 
seemed like that was where kind of more of the game was was okay. hanging out at and not quite up high where we were. And so the next day we grabbed our waders and went down the creek. We went, we'd maybe left camp by like a quarter mile or so and a black bear popped out in the exact same spot where there had been one the day before. And so I had brought my leather boots in my pack. I was wearing my Sims pants um, waders. My mm-hmm. client had on lacrosse hip boots. And I had all the stuff for a day, you know, to be gone and potentially to spend the night if we got stuck to, you know, to bivouac out. And this black bear pops out right across from camp, almost in the exact same spot as he was yesterday. Only this time we're in waders. So I said, nice. well, let's cross. Right. We'll just run up there and shoot this thing. And so we get over into position and we, we were well underneath of him. He was ended up being about 400 yards away and we were still in the bottom of this, uh, of this little creek bottom. And uh, we got set up, laying across our packs. I had my rifle doped for a backup shot just in case. Um, I wasn't planning on backup shooting this black bear. You don't usually need to backup shoot these these mountain black bears. Right. And my client was shooting a 300 wind mag okay. with 180 grain Nosler Acubons uh, from Choice Ammunition. And we got all set up. And th- this client was pretty, uh, he seemed to be pretty proficient in his shooting skills. Uh, he, he had practiced a lot. He had shown me a lot of pictures of his targets and over the last several weeks. And he was, he was shooting just using holdover out to like 500 yards wow. and fairly consistently on 12-inch steel plates. Nice. So I was pretty confident that he could make the shot. He seemed confident in himself and in his abilities. So I thought, well, you know, 400 yards, he's straight up above us. If you hit this thing and kill it, then it's going to roll right, right down to us and save us the walk. And so we, uh, we got into position and the client was uh, was steady on that bear, and I said, "Okay, you know he's broadside now. Whenever you get your chance, go ahead and take a shot." And I had him in my binos, and he was um, he was pretty calm. You know he he wasn't uh, he wasn't nervous at all. That the client wasn't uh, you know he didn't have um, buck fever. Mm-hmm. And he pulls the trigger on that first round, and you hear click. What in the boom? Oh, it was a hang fire. And so I heard the click, and then the client started talking, and then the gun went off. And so I looked over at him. I said, what's going on? Has this guy never done this before? He goes, no. Meanwhile, the black bear standing up there wondering what in the world that loud rock falling was. Shoot again. Yeah, he had no idea. Right. He was he just looking around like, what was that? And so I said, reload, and if it's going to hang fire again, you just got to make sure that you don't move after that yeah. thing clicks and just, just keep on him. And so it happened again. Click. I don't understand. Boom. And it went off like two seconds later. And I said, I said, man, you got to hold on this thing or else he's going to walk off. He's not just like the gun hasn't fired yet. I said, treat it like a muzzle loader. Oh, there you go. And I think it was shot three finally. And he click, boom, and smack. And you could hear that bullet clock into that brown bear or um, black bear. Talk about, um, you know, not being able to anticipate the shot. Yeah, right? yeah. You cannot flinch when that gun clicks. And I had even asked him, in hindsight, I should have had him do it. I asked him, I said, do you want to dry fire practice on this bear? That would have been a good idea. And he didn't want to do it. He said, no, why would I do that? Like, he had never even thought of that before. And he, he was, uh, he, he's, he's a more old-fashioned hunter. We'll just put it that way. He's, he's uh, significantly older than, than we are. And, you know, it doesn't, doesn't subscribe to some of the newer methodologies, okay. if you will. So he'd never heard of dry fire practicing on an animal before you actually take a shot. Right. 
just to make sure that your nerves are calm and that you can just pull through a shot and, and have your follow through mm-hmm. go well. In hindsight, that might have helped him just to stay on it after that click, right? Just to have that follow through in your shot sequence. And so eventually, you know, like I said, shot three, I believe it was, he clicked and he held on it and he shot it. And uh, the bear dropped like a bad habit. Nice. And uh, went down, I mean, went down hard. Like I thought, man, you must have spined this thing like high shoulder. And I said, well, he's dead either way. You know, he's, and I estimated he was, he was like a five and a half foot bear, which he ended up being. Okay. And uh, so we made our way up to the bear. It took us a little while to get up there and then figure out exactly where he was standing. And, you know, cause he had fallen a good ways and it was hard to find him in that tall willow brush in those slides and the av shoots. So we found him and recovered him and, and uh, there was a lot of blood everywhere, but I thought, man, you didn't hit him in the lungs. I don't see any holes in the chest. And I, I was skinning out the bear, and I thought, man, I don't see any bullet holes. Was in he this completely thing. broadside when he shot? Or? He was broadside, but he had his head turned back over, okay. his, uh, kind of above his chest, mm-hmm. looking down towards us. And uh, All those so weird I, booms and everything, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we get back down to camp, and I I put out a tarp, and I was fleshing him. It, by the way. One of the easiest black bears, well, one of the easiest bears ever to flesh because there was so much fat on it. Oh, I'm sure. Like it was just a, it was so easy to flesh this you bear. Did you some meat in that that night? I didn't. Um, I, yeah, just due to the circumstances, we didn't salvage um, any of the meat. I kind of wish we would have, but mm-hmm. we were thinking that we were going to get flown out to Moose Camp the next day, possibly. Oh. So we didn't have a whole lot of time for any antics. We just had to get that bear turned and on salt mm-hmm. and get the head cleaned off so that we could get it flown out when we got moved to moose camp. And it, and it could just go straight back to town to the outfitter. So um, spent that, you know, the, kind of the rest of that afternoon working on that bear and got him all prepped and turned and everything. And as I was cleaning off his skull, getting all the meat off of him, I discovered where the bullet had, had definitely flown. He shot him right in the back of the head. Wow. Yeah. So... Uh, Looking back at it, uh, no pun intended, the bear was looking behind himself, okay. like looking lo- looking back over that shoulder, mm-hmm. and his head was right over the vitals. So the client, oh, gotcha. the client shot and went just a bit high of mid body, and it shot this thing square in the back of the head. So no holes in the rest of the hide. No hole in the rest of the hide. No. no, just just one bullet hole into the head and then out of the middle of the neck. Oh, okay, where, okay. Where a couple of chunks went through. And I, I found some copper jacket fragments. Um, Probably some of that deviation from the angle. And all yeah, that. yeah, yeah. And so the, I, I went to brain that bear, and it was the easiest bear I've ever had to take the brains out of. I just took my fingers and just scooped the brains out in one big <laughs> chunk out from the bottom side of the skull cavity. It was a piece of cake. It was actually pretty entertaining. <laughs> you could make a nut bowl out of that brain cavity. It was, so anyway, uh, the next day we woke up and well, kind of. I ask you a question real quick. Yeah. So he, you, you had a client that came up and paid the fees for a moose hunt. Yes. What changes in relation to the guide and, and fees and stuff, such like that, if you take another animal on that hunt? Yeah. So the most outfitters operate on a trophy fee basis, where uh, okay. you you pay for a moose hunt flat. Like right. that's your. Let's just say, and I I didn't ask how much this hunt was. I don't usually ask how much the hunts are. Um, but let's just say 20,000 bucks mm-hmm. just for numbers sake. Um, so the outfitter collects that money in full just prior to the hunt starting, right? right. Like usually 30 or 60 days prior to the hunt, you have to pay the outfitter in full for the hunt. Mm-hmm. 
And then there is a trophy fee basis. Like if you come up with a black bear tag and a grizzly bear tag and a wolf tag, a lot of times outfitters don't charge a, a trophy fee on wolves because they just want them shot right. to help the game populations. But they will charge a trophy fee on a grizzly bear, especially. Some do for black bears. It just depends on the outfitter. So I, I imagine anything that is required to have a guide, they definitely charge a trophy fee. Yes. On. Probably yes. helps with legality even just yeah. to do that. Yeah, exactly. So, and it, it also directly correlates to the amount of work that you have to put into the trophy as well. Okay. Because a wolf, I mean, it's pretty easy. You know, you skin out this dog and then put it on salt and it's done, right? right. It's not that big of a. Um, of a workload a for the guy to do. Sucks to skin out, but they do suck to skin out. I I definitely agree with you. They're not my favorite. Um, but like a black bear or a grizzly bear, you spend a number of hours preparing right. and salting and and resalting and caring for that hide and skull that you have to make sure is well taken care of, or else it'll slip. Mm-hmm. Um, now we didn't have that issue where we were hunting. It was plenty cold enough every night. I could have probably gone without salting it. And just rolled it up after I flushed it, and it probably would have preserved fine. I just but, flipped it, skin out. Yeah, but I didn't want it to potentially dry out if it got a couple of hot days and then, you know, then have a problem with it slipping. Right. So I went ahead and salted it, and we had plenty of salt in camp there that we got flown in there with. Um, but yeah, v- fr- from what I understand, it's also directly related to the workload of the guy. Okay. So if it takes me a lot of work, you know, if it eats up a half day of hunting for me to care for a bear trophy, mm-hmm. then that costs the client something. And then, and then obviously, the you know, it, the client is expected to tip based upon animals taken usually. Yes. And it's not, you know, that's yeah. just, I'm just throwing that out there for yeah. people's perspective coming up here. Yeah. Don't expect to shoot three extra animals on your hunt because you kill your moose real fast. Right. And then it not cost you anything extra. Right. Right. You're going to have it to pay the outfitter. It may be less than if you went on a grizzly bear hunt and a black bear it's hunt. It's definitely less. Yeah. If you do a combination hunt like that, say you're doing a moose hunt, mm-hmm. and then at the end of the moose hunt, let's say that you're only three days into a 12-day hunt. Right. Well, now you have the option. Well, you have nine hunting days left, mm-hmm. and you've got a grizzly bear tag. Well, it's going to be cheaper for you to pay a, you know, let's just say $7,500 trophy fee to mm-hmm. shoot an interior grizzly bear. It's going to be cheaper for you to do that than it is for you to to, um, to book a completely separate grizzly bear hunt, right. fly all the way back up here, pay for an entire other hunt, Just all the- your airline fees, mm-hmm. a new locking tag for a different year. You're definitely in a lot less if you just make it into a big combo hunt, which oh, is what a lot of clients right. do. And just the grizzly bear hunt itself is going to be a lot more yeah. than, oh, yeah. the, the, you know, coming up to do that by itself. Yeah, than so, the trophy fee right. on a moose hunt. Anyhow, right. get back to the story. I just... No, no, that, that's, yeah, that's good. Um, and, and, you know, just for, just for reference, it used to be that tips were about 10% okay. of, of a hunt cost overall. Mm-hmm. And then if you added trophy fees to it, you would add that onto the overall hunt cost and mm-hmm. then tip the guide accordingly. Anymore, um, I, I've been told by other outfitters that they are recommending clients to tip 20%. Um, now it, that's not why a guide guides, right. but it certainly helps, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I have bills like anybody else does. Right. Guides know? don't get paid some insane amount of money. No, no, they don't. Um, but you know, that, that's, that's just for reference. But yeah, if you're coming up on a guided hunt, that's a good thing to just candidly ask your outfitter, Hey, what should I bring for mm-hmm. a tip for my guide? And, and how should I adjust it if we kill more than just one right. species on right. the hunt? Right. That's a, that's the courteous thing to do. Right. But anyway, so 
The following day came and we woke up uh, after killing that black bear. And uh, it had been raining that night. And then I woke up at, at just before first light and I heard the ominous hollow sound of precipitation. Mm. And the tent seemed darker than normal. And I thought, man, is this snow? And I smacked into the side of the tent with my hand and it all slid off the rain fly. And I went, oh no, Mm. it was snow. And we'd gotten several inches that night. And uh, so we woke up that morning, got out, rustled about. The visibility was at best a half mile in some places. but it's better than it could be. Most most of the valley was under a quarter mile visibility. And um, it was definitely not glassable outside of our immediate area where we had killed that bear the day before. Right. And so we, we waited that out a little while, made some coffee and hung out in camp. And we wanted to hike down the valley uh, in our waders and then just, just probe down, down the river a ways and look for some grizzly bears and see if we could, see if we could uh, scrounge out a grizzly before we got moved to moose camp. And uh, probably about 11 o'clock or noon or so, the uh, the snow cleared out and the skies got a little bit more clear and we had some visibility. It stopped snowing for the rest of the day, as a matter of fact. And uh, so we strapped on our waders and walked down the creek. We went probably a couple of miles anyway, down river, mm-hmm. no moose sign um, recently, you know, from, from at least this summer and fall anyway. Right. And we didn't see any more uh, bear sign really to speak of on the creek. There was some old tracks. And then we saw that sow and cub from the day prior or from a couple of days prior now um, down the valley. They had moved out a little ways. And so I got some, uh, some, some spotting scope footage of her with the cub. And that was about that. So we basically determined that there were no moose right in that valley. That was not going to be a good spot to get left to moose hunt. And uh, at that point, we got back to camp later on that day, and the snow came right back in, socked us back in that night. And so I did an in-reach weather update, and uh, the, the next day, I believe, was supposed to be clear um, all the way through morning okay. till evening. And so I texted the pilot, and I said, hey, we've got a weather window tomorrow. If you've got the cub, we, mm-hmm. could really, you know, w- we would really like to get right. moved out to moose camp tomorrow if possible there aren't any moose in here. And he said, yeah, no big surprise. You know, I, I'll try to get you out tomorrow. And so long story short, we ended up getting moved out. There was a couple of cubs uh, involved in the project and we got moved over to our moose camp. He took the black bear hide out. You know, we did all of our transfer possession paperwork and things like mm-hmm. that. And um, he took that back out to town. The outfitter took care of that and got it in the, got it in the storage freezer. And then uh, moose hunting started. All right, let's get to moose hunting after we take a break. Sounds good. All right, folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. 
So moose hunting. Moose hunting. We got landed at the moose strip and there was immediate moose sign right on the gravel bar there. We were on a river system. Nice. And uh, we got moved over there and the pilot kind of flew me over a few different areas and I looked at a few different spots. Our original spot where we were going to go was a little bit thicker than I had envisioned it to be. Uh, the outfitter had told me that, you know, this was a good spot potentially to go. Okay. And I looked at it and judging off of the uh, the client's ability to kind of move around and be mobile, I wanted to be in a spot where we could just sit and call. Uh, we, we didn't want to have to walk too far. Due to some circumstances, we didn't have a packer along with us on this hunt at that time. Um, just some of the logistics early on in the hunt. He ended up getting mm-hmm. sent to a different camp and they ended up needing him because they killed a bull like a mile and a half up off of the river system and they needed two packers. So uh, long story short, we flew um, flew up the valley a ways and found a little better spot. I found a little gravel bar with a little back slough behind it where we could camp right in front of that little back channel. Mm-hmm. And then on the river bar, we could see up about a half mile and then downriver, like well over a mile on the, on the gravel bar. And across the river, it was a nice, thick, um, steep hill of birch trees and little gullies and washes with creeks coming out of them. And then on our side, there was little foothills covered in black spruce and willow brush that we could see up into in the foothills. And then on the river itself, there was a little peninsula of willow brush that kind of came out that was good moose habitat okay. as well with a, with a little tributary coming out of it. So there was a lot of good moose habitat mm-hmm. for bedding and rut grounds and for cows to hang out in. And uh, so I said, okay, let's land right here. So we did. And I walked around and we picked our camp spot in there by that little back slough. And there was moose tracks all over the place. I set up the spotter that night and looked across the river and I saw what I was almost certain were a couple of scrapes where a bull had torn up some willows across the river along that bank. And uh, so I I thought right away, man, we are in business. Went to bed that night, cold night, clear cold night. Good. Very, very good for moose activity. And uh, probably about an hour after dark, I heard a moose walking in the back slough about 30 yards behind my tent. Just chunk, chunk, chunk in the water. And then it stopped when it got behind my tent and probably looked up like, what in the world is that teepee? Because I'd set up my Peaks teepee now. You probably had a light on inside? I didn't. I I, I was lights out. I was in there. I I had in one earbud. I was listening to to a podcast and, uh, and the client was asleep. I could hear him snoring in his Cabela's tent adjacent to me like, I don't know, 10 yards away, but I'd set up my tent with the wood stove just in case we needed to dry anything out later on in the hunt. So I did all that, made all that noise when we landed and got that all set up right away. And then, uh, so the next day got up just before light and walked out, you know, I don't know, 50, 60 yards Mm -hmm. right in front of our camp, just broke out of the willows. And I set up my little Sitka gear camo tarp, um, for our shelter because it was raining that morning. And we sat underneath that and, well, the client sat underneath that and then I raked and called. Mm -hmm. And I usually would call um, from first light, which was 6.30-ish or so, 6.45, depending on the cloud cover, um, until we actually got to shooting light. I didn't like calling. I I, I usually don't like calling unless we can see to shoot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's just because you never know. If there's a bull that steps out, a hundred yards away right? and it's not light enough to judge him yet, then he's going to stand there and he might walk off before you even get light enough yeah, to exactly. shoot. So 
I waited till we got shooting light, you know, like I said, 6.30, 6.45, somewhere in that range. Started calling, and uh, it was all bull calls to start with. I started off with just bull calling, so just grunts and then raking. Every 20 minutes or so, I would do that. And nothing super aggressive, just trying to mimic one bull walking up and down the gravel bar, mm-hmm. raking and grunting, going back and forth. And then no responses that first day. I did that the first day, and then I made a, a cow call at about noon or 1230 or mm-hmm. so, just one, and kind of glassed up that hill, just looking to see if a cow call might make one stand up or look our direction. We could right. see his paddles, right? Nothing there. And then that night, I started calling again about 530, called till dark, and no responses again. We did that for two days, and then the third morning with no responses. We sat out there on the river bar all day long and glassed and watched the gravel bars and just waited to see if something might come out and cross, mm-hmm. you know, at some point during the day, because you never know. And when you mm-hmm. have that kind of visibility, it's nice to be able to, to have something to do during the day. Otherwise, you're just kind of hanging out in camp if you're in a thick spot, sitting around waiting until evening time to call, right? Right. If you don't have a vantage point. So we were we were glad to have that river to sit on and kind of glass up and down there and look for a bear crossing or look for a bull moose that might come out and cross the river midday in that chance. So the third day comes around, and by this time you could tell the client was kind of getting antsy, um, which is pretty common for, for guys that aren't experienced at, at moose hunting. And uh, he asked me, he said, man, we've been sitting on this river for like three and a half days now, and we haven't seen anything except a couple of caribou cross. Well, I, I forgot to mention, on the second night, which had been the first day of hunting, mm-hmm. that night at about midnight, I was woken up to a cow and a calf moose running through our camp. They stepped on my tarp that was covering up my pile of firewood right next to my teepee at about midnight, ran right through camp, and then walked out in that back slough behind us. And I'll never forget, it was a, it was a strange noise, but they stood there right next to my tent for a minute. You could mm-hmm. hear them breathing. Then the cow kind of made a little bit of a huff, like a, just, just a strange noise. And you could hear what I think was their stomachs gurgling. Mm-hmm. It was strange. I'd never been that close to one in the dark and just heard one just stand still and then make a noise in their gut. But anyway, so I knew there were moose around, right? But we hadn't seen any at, at, at all. Like we hadn't seen one moose. Well, that day, midday, the client walked back into the camp and I got a glimpse of an antler across the river in the hardwoods up in that birch trees where all those little draws were, Mm -hmm. where those creeks come out of that dump into the main river. And I had looked at that originally and thought, man, that'd be a good bedding area. It's thick, it's dark, it's shaded, they've got water in there, it's nice hardwood trees. I'll bet there's probably a moose or two holed up over into there. And that's where a bull is probably going to travel through looking for cows walking on that right, side of the river. Right. Well, sure enough, I saw a, glind- a, a, um, a little glimpse of an antler, and then I saw a cow a few minutes later walk right through that little gap. And so I knew, okay, now, there's, now I know there's a bull over there. So that day, midday, I made one cow call. The client was back in camp putting on more puffy gear or something. It was chilly that day, all day long. And, mm-hmm. and the wind was a constant, like, five-mile-an-hour breeze up towards us. It was pretty chilly, even in the middle, you know, middle of the day. We were in mm-hmm. our puffy gear all day long, even when the sun was out. 
So I made that cow call midday and the bull grunted back and you could hear him just way off in the distance grunt back. I thought, okay, now he's interested. And so I, I didn't make another call. I didn't push it. I just made that one cow call and left him alone. Mm-hmm. That night at about five o'clock, I started calling a little bit early because of the temperature. I called about five and at about 7.45, I heard another grunt. And then I heard another grunt at about eight. And so I, I, at this point, I hadn't even told the client that I'd heard the grunts because I didn't want to get him excited and then yeah, not have yeah. the bull step out. But I had my spotting scope all set up on my tripod. And about 8.15 or so, I saw him step out of the willows across the river about a half mile away. Nice. And he was head and shoulders above the willow brush over there. And I could see his rack just with my naked eye. And I looked in the spotter. And I could see immediately he had four brow tines on one side and three on the other. So he was legal for, for the client to shoot. And um, I, I grunted at him with that bullhorn, mm-hmm. and he grunted right back. And so I took the bullhorn, and but by this point, I told the client, and I said, hey, there's a bull over there, you know, take a look at him. I took that bullhorn, and I just lightly raked one little willow um, sprig that was right next to me, just one little twig, and just just kind of raked that just ever so slightly. And he heard that and his ears went up and his eyes got real wide and he just commenced to just trashing all the willows right around him. I thought, oh man, you are one dead moose if my client wants to shoot you. (laughs) And so we had the discussion and um, he said, yeah, I I think I want to shoot that moose. Well, first he asked me and he said, what do you think? I said, well, moose hunting goes one of two ways. You might call out five or six bulls or you might just call out one. And mm-hmm. so far, we've called out one. And we've got, you know, four or five days left right. of moose season. Um, this was a late season hunt, obviously. And uh, we were five days away from season ending. Right. And I said, okay, well, in my opinion, you know, this bull's not the widest bull that mm-hmm. we would possibly encounter, but he's legal on brow tines and he's a good bull. Like he's got, right. he's got great fronts. He's heavy, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a good bull to shoot if you want him. If, this, if you would be happy looking at this moose on your wall with your shoulder mount, then I think we should shoot this bull now mm-hmm. because we don't know if we're going to be able to call out another legal one. We might be able to call out five more moose, but they might all be 35s with right. two brow tines, right? So he said, yeah, no, you're right. I, I, I think he's really cool. I love his fronts. Let's go ahead and try to kill him. I said, okay. So I started grunting back to him. About a minute later, he got all hyped up and basically ran and jumped into the first braid of the river, which was up to his neck. It was deep and white water fast over there on the main braid. He jumped into that river and crossed and commenced to just about trotting across the river right over towards us, Mm -hmm. towards the airstrip. And uh, so I kept grunting back to him and he would grunt and I would grunt and just back and forth, back and forth. Um, And he came in. He stopped probably 400 yards out and stuck his nose straight up in the air. And that's when I realized that the wind was doing a little bit of a swirl. Okay. I thought, oh man, you know, I sure hope he doesn't care, you know, because usually when a bull is real turned on and ready to come in and fight. They get to a point they don't care. They don't care. Right. And so he stopped, put his nose up in the air. I grunted once. He put his head down and kept on coming. Just grunted back and just forgot all about the wind. So I thought, okay, well, we, you know, we fooled him mm-hmm. there. He's not, he's not going to care about the smell now. 
He eventually made his way in. He was on our side of the river. He was just outside the willows, and he was going to step into the brush to circle around to come in in the brush where it would have been hard to get a shot at him. So I said, hey, if you've got a shot here, you know, next time he turns broadside, let's let's go ahead and take the shot. Mm-hmm. And he was about 275 or 280 or so. And the client shot him perfectly broadside. And that moose went down like a bad habit. His rear end hit the ground first. And he tipped up over backwards and stuck his paddles in the, in the sandbar. Nice. I thought, man, wow, that's impressive. Right. You spined him. And so I said, grab your gun, let's go. We got to get closer to mm-hmm. him to make a follow-up shot because he might not stay down. And um, we made it up to about 30 yards away, and he was still very much alive and kicking and trying to stand up, but he couldn't. And the client, I said, all right, put one more through the top of his back into his vitals there. I was hoping he was going to shoot him right in the spine and break his back and, right. and keep right. him down. He was about 50 yards away from the river at this point okay. to our side. And as soon as the client's gun went off to shoot him again, that moose erupted up to his feet in one motion and took off at a full run for the river. And the client said, I'm out. <laughs> and I said, okay. And so I raised up my gun. I had that Weatherby 338, uh, Weatherby RPM. And Shooting I- what? Uh, 205 grain power hammers. Nice. My hand loads. And um, I shot him through the ribs. I had my uh, Leupold VX6 with the fire dot and the reticle. Mm-hmm. I was sure glad I had that red dot. And that helped a lot being able to just pull that up and have the red dot. I didn't even have to think about where the reticle was. Right. And I shot him through the ribs on my first shot a little bit farther back than I would have wanted, but he was kind of quartered away. It, it made it up into the vitals, but it wasn't enough to stop him, like, mm-hmm. to, like to break his shoulder and put him down. And I racked another round right away. Meanwhile, he's going full speed. I shot him again a little bit farther forward, um, right behind the front shoulder on my side, and it went up into the offside shoulder and broke that, broke that um, offside shoulder. And he hit the ground hard. Mm-hmm. Mid stride, just went down on his belly and and dug like a three foot trench in nice. the in the sand, and just skittered to a stop with his nose in the water, <laughs> right there at the river. And uh, so we walked up to him, and he was still kind of kicking. And I said, "All right, shoot him one more time on the ribs, you know, just to let the client get the last straw." Right. So he shot him in the ribs, and that made him tip over on his side, which made my job a little easier. And that was it. That's a tough moose. Yeah, he soaked up some lead. In the last moose, I shot two shots. And yeah, tail t- just fell over. Yeah, and had had his first shot been in the in the lungs, That's true. It probably would have when, gone a lot they faster. Get riled up. Yeah, but in hindsight, I don't know which way he would have run. Mm-hmm. Right, because there was that back slough behind our camp to his front, mm-hmm. and then behind him was the main river. So either way, he would have ran had we shot him in the ribs on the first shot at like 300 yards. He could have run 60 yards either direction and died in the water. So spining him on the first shot and then making the follow-ups and killing him on the gravel bar ended up being the best possible place to kill him. You know, my experience shooting a moose in the vitals. Yeah. Long range or close range. If you get a good lung shot. Mm Mm-hmm. They don't know what happened, and they typically yeah. don't run right away. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been my experience too. They, they'll, you know, anyway, just yeah, I, he may have just stood there and toppled over. He, he, yeah, he very well might have, but 
given the circumstances. Right. Hey, good thing it happened the way it did. Or yeah, else. exactly. And we didn't have a packer, so it was just myself and the client to, to manage mm-hmm. this big animal. We walked up to that moose, and I said, my goodness, this is this seems like a little bigger than average bodied moose. Like this is, this is a monster animal. Right. Took all of our, all of our trophy photos that night, just as it was getting dark. Thankfully, these new phones take real good pictures in low light because it was, it was headlamp dark, not Mm -hmm. quite pitch black dark yet, but it was dark enough that we needed headlamps. But without headlamps and without flash, the phone still took good photos. And you can see those if you um, on my Instagram, I posted them. Instagram? Um, are they on Facebook? Too? Yeah, yeah, I put them on Facebook too. Yeah, so if you look at either of my social pages, um, you'll see the pictures of the bull there. Um, but yeah, he was a great bull. had uh, had heavy main beams and four brow tines on one side and yeah. three on the other. So he was he was legal. He on looked brow old. tines. Yeah, that's what everybody I I talked to said. His lower teeth were real worn down. Um, and he, yeah, I, I think he was just an old bull that was probably regressing in size is, is what I've been told. So that, that was my thought. I mean, for one, his hair was very light colored. Yeah. Usually big bulls will have a richer, dark color. His was, was very light, like a gray, like an old gray mare. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then the other thing with the antlers, what I noticed is, you know, the bigger a bull gets, you can kind of tell how big it is. Not by looking at the proportion of the uh, of the manes going to the to the rack, how long mm-hmm. the manes are in proportion to the rack, yeah, and the shape of the manes. If they look like they're going up from the head, right, it's probably it's a young bull still. Yeah, he's yeah, not big for sure. This bull was fifty inches, mm-hmm. but he had these like in proportion to the rack. They ha- he had these curved manes mm-hmm. that weren't huge and big around like right. it may have been four or five years ago. He probably was seventy five inches. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, who knows? You know, you yeah. never know it, genetics and all that kind of stuff or 65 or whatever, but yeah. it, it's interesting looking at those things. I think that uh, that's why I definitely was yeah. old. Yeah. And so we, uh, we decided that we were going to be better off. It wasn't raining that night and it wasn't forecasted <laughs> to rain the next day, but the previous two days of hunting were forecasted to be clear and we'd gotten some spit squalls of rain and snow mixed in there in the right. daytime. So I said, well, it's clear right now. The stars are coming out. Let's just do it tonight while it's not raining and while he's warm and we can move him because mm-hmm. once he gets stiff, oh. you and I are going to have a real chore trying to roll this thing over once we get half of him mm-hmm. done. And I, I, you know, obviously I was caping him out for a shoulder mount right. for, for the trophy, which adds a good amount of time mm-hmm. to taking a moose apart as opposed to if I'd shot it on, you know, on my hunt or if you'd have shot it, we would have gone up from the bottom up and kept right. all the hair out of everything. And it, you know, we wouldn't have cared about the cape. We would have been able to cut holes in it for, for handles <laughs> right. and pull on it. Right. Couldn't do that on the front half of this one. So anyway, we got to work it on that bull and after all was said and done, that night, the river was coming up some because of all the snow melting in the alpine country. It was draining down as it got warm that day. And so the river ended up coming up um, a, a good amount. By the time we were okay. done cutting on that moose early morning, the uh, the front half of the carcass was in the water. So it's a good thing that we got to him while we did. Right. And it didn't rain on us that night. By the time we were done... You know, I had worn a vest and my rain jacket and my rain pants, and I ended up taking off my rain jacket and my vest, just wearing my, just wearing my um that Barney's it's pullover. How much work 
cutting a moose up is oh, yeah. how warm you get. Yeah. But by the time I was done, my clothes that I'd taken off, my jackets, mm-hmm. had frost all over them. Oh, like they yeah. were totally covered in frost. My water bottle was almost frozen all the way through. It was a really, really cold night. I looked at my thermometer on my pack when I got back to camp and it said 17. Wow. So it was really, really cold, which I was stoked about because it, I mean, it froze that meat good that night. Yeah. By, by the next morning, yeah. it was ice cold to the touch. So there wasn't any worrying about any kind of a bone sour going on right. there had it been like 40, right? That's what you worry about even when you get a quarter off because there were no trees right around there that we could hang them off of. Oh, so we just had to lay them down on the river rocks under a tarp um, with the antlers on top of it so that we kind of tented the tarp over the oh, meat. Yeah. Um, but you still worry about, is it going right. to bone sour if it's, you know, if it was 40 or 35, I would have maybe worried about that a little bit, but we didn't get any of that. Um, and even processing the meat ended up being like four days later. Okay. It was still ice cold um, up next to the bone. It was perfectly cold and preserved mm-hmm. great. Didn't lose any to uh, to any kind of a spoilage problem at all. So we got that moose done, came back the next day. I had to carry it about 300 yards or so back to the airstrip. Um, and we just made one trip at a time in my, in my pack. And he helped me get the pack, uh, get, the, um, get the quarters into contractor bags and, uh, and then slid those into my pack. And then I staggered up to my feet like I was learning how to walk again. And uh, I thought, man, these quarters are they, they seem a little heavier than, yeah. than other moose that I've, that I've picked up. And they ended up being significantly heavier. Right. When the pilot came to pick all the meat up and fly us back into town a couple of days later, the pilot told me, he said, I've flown out 20 bulls this year. And this is the biggest one by probably 30 pounds per quarter. He said, this thing is huge. He flew him out in a couple of trips in a cub. And um, I got home and I weighed that moose. and quarters on the bone, all the burger meat, you know, neck, brisket, flank, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and all the rib meat, and the back straps and tenderloins all ended up weighing right at about 800 pounds, give or take a little bit. That's, yeah. That's insane. Crazy amount of weight. And then the cape and the antlers. That's not even including the cape and the antlers. So we got that, you know, thankfully... We shot him right on the gravel bar there. It was about 300 yards back to camp, uh, back to the airstrip where I, where I offloaded everything and put a tarp over it and, and covered it. And then the pilot came in the next day and got all of it and then got us out as well. So all's well that ends well. We skinned out the head the following day after the kill and uh, packed out the cape and the client put the antlers over his shoulders and carried those back mm-hmm. to the strip. And we got our pictures and it was, uh, it was a successful end to a hunt and it was a dream come true for him. Yeah, right. It, it was it was a special special hunt for that guy. You know, he'd been dreaming of coming up here for a long time. Blue collar guy, just like you and me, works in uh, rural uh, lower forty eight state, and uh, just a just a down to earth guy. Nice nice fellow to hunt with. We had a great time, and it awesome. was it was a good experience. All right, that's an awesome hunting story. Yeah, um, it was fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, bear and a moose in what a week. Yep. Yep. Exactly a week. That's, you know, sometimes it just happens and sometimes, you know, <laughs> I, I, I've it spent does. weeks and weeks of time yeah. this year yeah. in the field. Road system, I haven't had, you know, haven't had the time or the money to get off the road system and what I've been doing so far this year, that's going to change later this, this winter. We'll, I'll definitely be doing some stuff off the road system, but yeah. um, 
which is, I'm pretty sure is going to be successful because it's off the road system. It's amazing <laughs> yeah. how that works. But yeah. um, I have not killed anything but time and money. Mm-hmm. That's what I tell people when they ask yeah. me, did you get anything? Nope. Just, just killed time and money. Yeah, just killed hopes and dreams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyhow, so talked about a lot about weather. Got yeah. Cold. It was rainy. Yeah. What we're using for gear. We actually just got a comment recently. Somebody like, man, I love when you get nitty gritty on the gear. Well, good because here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the with the gear, um, I, I I really like the. Um, the pullover from Barney's, yeah. you know, that Frontier Gear of Alaska. I lived in that thing the entire time. I wore a Merino t-shirt from Stone Glacier and then a Merino pullover, their little quarter zip hoodie. Okay. And then my Barney's pullover over that the entire time. Like I slept in that, the, that those three top layers did uh-huh. not come off the entire time, even packing. It was cold enough that I wore that. Um, for pants, I, I well, I, for under um, attire, I wore the Kuyu Pro Merino 200 zip-off um, okay. long john bottoms, the Merino bottoms. Mm-hmm. I wore those the entire time as well. Those didn't come off. I, I slept in those. Yeah. And then for pants, I wore the Kuyu brush pants. Those were a good pair of pants for this hunt. Are they? Yeah. They, they're, they're thicker and more windproof than a lot of Kuyu's other pants. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't have knee pads, but they're nice and tough and they block out the wind well so that when it's not raining, but it's still cold, right. those with long johns is enough that you can probably get by until you've got to put on puffy pants over okay. it, which I only did one time the entire hunt. And that was when we were up at the bear strip up in the wind and, you know, m- more in the mountains yeah. on that strip. Um, How are they for water? The, the the brush pants yeah yeah but very very water resistant actually yeah I found myself spilling water on them quite re- quite frequently in the tent with my jet boil <laughs> several times hate when that happens yeah but you know that yeah they're 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 fairly waterproof uh, for what they are as, right. as as like a soft shell pant I guess you could call them similar um, to like the Havilands in that yeah okay yeah yeah very similar to that that they're I think they're thinner fabric than the Havilands but they're a little more windproof okay I feel like yeah. Uh, and the nice part is too, is they've got inner thigh vent zips as well as outer thigh vent zips. So you can get really good circulation through your, through your, uh, through your crotch. Oh yeah. Um, with those pants. Just dump a bunch of heat. Yeah. That's pretty handy. I had those wide open when I was carrying that moose uh, when I was packing it the following day. I, I like those pants. I, I cut a hole in them with my little wood saw while I was cutting firewood for my stove. Um, and I stitch them up that night and no big deal. My wife was even impressed with the sewing job. So, nice. Yeah, it was pretty handy. Um, carry a sewing kit. Yeah, I, I bought a little $10 a good idea. sewing kit at, uh, at a local mountaineering store. And I, I, it never leaves my stuff. You it doesn't know. weigh anything. You might need to sew yourself up with that thing. I would hope not. Um, with the needles that it comes with, they're pretty big. Are they? <laughs> well, hey, yeah. you know, when, when you got to grit your teeth and yeah. do it, you'll do it. Yeah, if you got to do it, you just do it. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. overall, I like those brush pants and I, I like okay. those upper layers. For insulation, I brought my Cirque vest and my Cirque jacket mm-hmm. and my Barney's jacket, my Barney's Brooks Range Frontier Gear of Alaska jacket. Right. Um, I didn't wear that very often. I found too big. It's, it's a little big to layer over. Like when it starts raining, I don't like having to put a rain jacket over it. It's not built as a layer. It's built as an outer piece. Mm -hmm. So I've found that the Cirque vest and jacket combined underneath a rain jacket 
is as warm as that Barney's jacket is. Yeah. And it layers much nicer. I'm sure those the Cirque stuff is just Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of that Cirque insulation. That's Prima Loft Gold, I believe. It's I f- it's good stuff. I found myself wearing that starting at work a few mornings, which you gotta be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what I'm doing. You know, I work in construction. So some days yeah. I'm just you know, I'm running lead on projects, and so I'm just walking around, making running errands, making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, and that's fine. But as soon as I'm jumping in, trying to like fix a yeah. little thing, so everybody else doesn't have to stop. Yeah, I'm like stripping it off. Yeah, which then I get cold when I was really warm. Right, right. But but yeah, I, I like that stuff. And then for rain gear, I've I ran the Kuyu Yukon jacket and pants mm-hmm. again. Uh, those are man, I've had that set for like three plus years now. Okay. And um, the jacket in the heavy, wet snow a couple of times, I noticed started to leak a little bit, Did it? like I was getting some water through it. It is old, been through a lot of wash cycles. I'm initiating a warranty return on it right now to try to exchange it for a new one. Um, so that, that kind of leads into the next thing. Uh, I made an order from First Light when I got home. Shocker. Yeah, I know. This is my uh, my first order from First Light, but I've heard so many good things about the Omen Storm Shelter it's rain jacket from dude. you and from a yeah. few other clients that I've had now that have had it. And it looks pretty bomb-proof, that four and a half layer laminate. Mm-hmm. It it reminds me a lot of an Arcteric style design. And just a lot of the mm-hmm. features and the build quality of it, It's it looks to be pretty sweet. So I got that in already. Um, I'll be using that here on my next guided hunt that I'll do this next week on the, on, on, um, on a coastal brown bear mm-hmm. hunt that I'm going to guide where it's undoubtedly going to be wet and cold. October yeah. brown bear hunting is just, it's just going to be wet. So I'll, I'll be living in that. I, I bought that omen storm shelter. So I'll have more to, more to report on that after this next hunt. I'm, I'm looking forward to testing it. I, I love mine. Now yeah. it is my first breathable raincoat, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm planning on buying the pants that go with it. I mean, they're zip yeah, off. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to try them. It, the biggest thing I like about it is it's, for what it is, it's fairly lightweight, mm-hmm. decently packable, not super packable. More packable than the Yukon, though. Is it? Oh, I, always yeah. say I haven't handled the Yukon. Oh, yeah. But the yeah. pants are zip off, too, mm-hmm. right? So Don't got to take off your boots to take them yeah, off. Yeah, they're zip off. They're developed well with vents and all that kind of stuff built into them and pockets. And, you know, the, the Omen storm shelter jacket has mm-hmm. both vents and pockets built in and you can actually use those vents to access like upper pockets yeah. in a jacket you've got underneath yeah inside under right. layers yeah for sure but yeah that was pretty much what i wore um for my gear on that hunt and, and like i said the yukon stuff it, it started to wet through a little bit but it wasn't bad like i was soaked um but the last day that we got snow a uh, couple days before we killed that bull i think it was our first day of hunting at the moose spot um, I ended up firing up the wood stove that night mm-hmm. and drying out my reindeer just so it'd be dry in the morning. Yeah. And as to whether or not a fire affects moose hunting, that was the night that that cow and calf ran right up next to my tent right. with a fire going. They were yeah. standing 10 feet away while my chimney was billowing out smoke and I was stoking the fire. Didn't so seem to bother them any. They did not care. They stood, yeah. they stood on my tarp put a hole in my tarp on my, <laughs> on my firewood pile while I had a fire going. So yeah, I'm not, not convinced that it has any kind of a ill effect on moose, but let's get back to moose calling here. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit of detail right after we take this break. 
Hammer Bullets produces what we at the Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great BCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1800 feet per second, which allows for long range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER to drop the hammer on your next adventure. All right, so moose calling. Moose calling. People like to ask questions about that. I've gotten several messages on my Instagram, and I know we've gotten some emails from listeners um, as to how we call moose and what works and what time of year do you call how and so on and so forth. And I, I know we've mentioned that a little bit, but mm -hmm. I just want to talk about what I did on this hunt and what ended up working. Well, first, let's start with what day of the month was it? Was it the 20th? Mm. I had to, I have to look here. I twenty first or second, I think okay. it was so Some, right, something so right just in there. Three days left in the season. Twenty um, first, we shot that. Okay. Bolt. Okay. Yeah. So we, yeah, we, we had a few days left in the season there. So I in in this topic with the rut and calling, I've I was reading something the other day. Somebody was talking about how they the area they were hunting in, they got looking at the the animals harvested, moose harvested mm. in that area. Yeah. In wet day the most moose were harvested you know, yeah. in that unit or whatever. Uh -huh. And he says, and he always plans his hunt around that time. And he said it didn't fail him. He killed the moose exactly the day. Did he say what resource he was using to figure Just out? Just ADF and G information. Oh, that, that has information on yeah, it. Yeah, I believe that's where he got it all. Interesting. Yeah, that, that'd be worth looking into. I don't know if you can get it on the internet or have to go into the, you know, he was like, I think he said, PM me and I'll tell you where I got all this information. It was somebody on the local Alaska hunting page, but huh. it was, it was, an, you know, a lot of people post on there and, you know, I don't care what they have to say, but this guy actually seemed like he knew what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I'd, I'd like to see that. that. That'd be really good information to have. So moose calling, I, I think we mentioned in a prior episode that early on in the season, it does you zero good to cow call, right? The cows aren't really um, making any noise early on in the season. The bulls will start before the cows will. Right. The, ca the, the, the bulls are going to start grunting and they're going to be raking their antlers early on in the month to get all the velvet off of them. A lot of times you can get a bull's curiosity peaked, not even to fight, but just to come in and check you out if you're raking even early season mm -hmm. because you sound like another bull just trying to get rid of his velvet. Right. And that worked earlier on in the season for me. Um, at a different spot, I, I was able to bring out a bull that was in velvet still yeah. that came out to check me out because I was lightly raking and making mm -hmm. a few grunts here and there. I, I wasn't trying to simulate that I had cows or that I was in the rut, right. but just a bull, just trying to get another bull to step out out of curiosity. So on this hunt, obviously a totally different situation. It was cold. And I guess we should just tackle this at the same time. Okay. Temperature does not affect the moose rut. Temperature affects moose activity. Yes. But temperature does not affect the rut. A lot of people mistakenly 
correlate mm-hmm. moose activity for when the rut happens. The cows always have the calves within a specific two-week slot in mm-hmm. the spring. The calves are always here at the same general right. time in the spring. The rut never occurs early or late. Relatively speaking, it's always within a certain time. Otherwise, the calves would come later or earlier in the spring. Right. So, And if they came too early, they would all die because there'd be too much mm-hmm. snow. And if they came too late, then we would all notice it like, wow, this is a really, really late calf this, drop. This has been my thoughts on that because I, I've known that there's always going to be a period of time that the rut happens. Right. But when it happens in that, say, two one, two, three week period of time, whatever it is, yeah. is can be dictated somewhat by temperature. Their activity levels and how hard they go at it can be dictated by the temperature. Okay. But it's their activity. If it's 45 degrees all the way through the rut, at some point they have to get it done and they, yeah. they will go into full rut mode and right. they will get the job done of breeding all those cows. It's just that we notice it more mm-hmm. when it's colder because they are more active when it's colder. Right. They're more responsive. They seem to be a lot more um, easily manipulated right. when it's colder because they're, they're moving more. They're traveling. They're looking right. for those cows. That's just a little side note. Yeah. Temperature doesn't affect rut, but it affects activity, which affects our ability to hunt. Mm-hmm. So... When we got out there, like I said, it was it was very cold the, the the entire time we were at Moose Camp. It was nice and cold, well below freezing every night. Like I, I had my water storage out there in camp, and it was th- there was ice in all the water every single morning. It was great. It was nice and cold, and um, calling early on 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 day one, I didn't do any cow calls in the morning. Okay. In, in in the morning calling session, I didn't do any cow calls. Okay. It was just grunts and rakes, just simulating one bull. That night, I made a cow call right at the end, right at last light. The next day, morning of day two, I started off with a cow call and then simulated throughout the calling session of about three and a half hours, I simulated one bull and one cow in the area together so that moose in the area would think there's a bull with a cow over here. Mm Mm-hmm. That night, same thing, a little bit more cow calling, though. So now it was probably a a 70-30 split of bull calling 70%, and then about 30% was cow calls. Okay. By day three, I really wanted to get anything agitated in there and try to pull one out before we started walking. Um, So my plan was to hunt this exact spot in front of our camp for three full days. And then if we hadn't called out a bull, mm-hmm. we hadn't had any results, then we were going to start by getting up well before light and walk down the riverbed like a mile and a half okay. because we had the ability to. We could just walk the river bottom and there was another strip down there that we could potentially get the cub to land at. Oh, gotcha. So we could walk a mile and a half down and call a little bit different of an area mm-hmm. for the next three days, basically the remainder of the hunt. We had about six days of season to hunt there in total. So the night of day three, when we ended up calling in that bull, was my last chance. Like that's in my own head, I thought, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to make this as big and dramatic of a scene as possible to try to, to try to bring a bull out out of desperation before we go try to call a different spot. 
I wanted to give him every chance I could to bring him out. Mm -hmm. And it ended up working. So what I did on the night of of day three, when we shot this moose was at about five o'clock, I started calling and I kicked it off with a lot of raking Mm -hmm. and then a lot of bull calling. And early on in the sets, like on day one and two, my grunts were a little farther apart. The night of day three, it was grunting a lot closer together, simulating mm-hmm. a really charged up bull right. and raking vigorously in the willows, like a lot of, a lot of bust and brush, making a lot of noise. And then I'd wait about 10 minutes and then I'd make a nice 10 to 15 second cow call, you know, make it about as attractive as you can as a person. <laughs> right. And then I would wait another 15 minutes and then I would walk about 75 yards away point a different direction with that little fiberglass bullhorn mm-hmm. and make a different bull call to simulate a different bull right. coming in to fight bull number one that I'd already simulated being. Well, and, and while the distance may seem crazy to some people that a moose would know that's a different bull, moose can hone in on, on a direction insanely yes. fast. Yes. For instance, I was hunting the top of a cut. Mm-hmm. And 300 yards to the bottom of the cut and four or 500 yards to the corners from where I was sitting kind of in the middle. And I had a, twice, I had a cow moose in the bottom of it when I was calling. Yeah. And as soon as I would grunt, she would pinpoint me yeah. with incredible, like, seemingly look it. right into your eyes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And I would just stand there frozen, right? Yeah. Till. But you she, know, yeah, she knew exactly where she knew you were. She knew exactly where I was. She may not have been able to see me or tell what I was because moose don't have the best eyesight. Yeah. Ears? Oh, yeah. Dead on. Yeah, exactly. Unmatchable hearing as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing else that can hear like a moose can. So I made that simulation and I started at five o'clock. And uh, just in my experience, moose have kind of three different grunts. There's one that is really, uh, I haven't heard anybody that's able to copy it, but it sounds like you're dropping a rock into a pool of water like that. And yeah, that's yeah. that's the one that I can't quite imitate. And I haven't met anybody that Sounds can. better in the mic than it does. I, I'm sure it does. Um, and then the other one is is a real breathy, like a wah, wah. Yeah. And they've got a, a lot of breath kind of coming out their coming out their mouth as as opposed to the first one that you'll hear a lot of people is just a wah, wah. Right. And that's just more more vocal, you know, just more sound. And and there's different there's um there's one that I was that I've that I've heard him do that's kind of a half swallow like a wah wah right and you can't you probably can't hear that very well through the mic but that's another one that they'll do so there's mm-hmm. kind of three different ones there's the half swallow grunt and then there's the normal grunt and then there's that drop in the water grunt right and so I was doing like the old man real breathy half swallow on one end and then I was simulating. The the other grunt, just just a normal grunt with no variation, with the cow over Mm -hmm. about seventy five or hundred yards away, back where the client was sitting. So I'd walk back and forth and grunt from a different spot every twenty minutes and simulate different bulls. And that bull came out, you know, shortly thereafter. I'd built up this for like the last couple of hours, Mm -hmm. and he came out, and he was he was looking to come in and see what in the world these two guys were fighting about. Now. Do I know exactly what he believed? Right. No. But do I know that it worked and that it's worked before on moose? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's, that's a technique that I've found works. When they're in the rut like that in that time of year, it, 
it is to your benefit to be able to walk back and forth, you know, like I said, 60 to 100 yards apart, point different directions with your with your mouth or with your bullhorn or mm-hmm. with your little birch bark cone, whatever you're using to call with, and point different directions and make two very distinctly different sounding grunts. They can tell the difference. And, uh, and on top of that, at the one spot where I was making the real breathy old man grunts, mm-hmm. I was raking different stuff. Oh, yeah, there so, you go. So I, I wasn't raking willows and, 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 and like little scrub brush. I was raking in the spruce trees. Yeah. And then when I'd come back and do the other bull grunt, I was in the willows. It makes a different echo. Yeah. So it sounds completely yeah. different. Like, yeah, exactly. Like a different size rack and they're in different spots on the right. riverbank. And he came out ready to hard charge and kick whoever's behind was over there with that cow. And they'll do that. You'll see a group right. of bulls and they'll hash it out. You know, okay. This particular thing I saw um, a couple of years ago, there were two bulls fighting and carrying on. And a third bull came out of nowhere, came in there and beat one of the fighting bulls up and then took the cow and left. And the cow left with him. So he came in as man number three, yeah. fought one of the bulls that was already fighting and then took the cow and left. I'm sure that's probably what he had on his mind. Yeah. Whether he thought there was one or two bulls over there where I was, right. all he knew is he wanted to come in there, beat that, beat that bull up, and take that hot cow back over to his mm-hmm. side where he already had a cow. Right. Well, that was his mistake. So that's, that's kind of the breakdown of what I did. Would I have called him out had I just stuck to bull grunting and raking? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, but, but you never know. And like I said, this has worked before right. of simulating more than one bull and a cow together. They'll come out because, all right, now there's more than one moose over there. I'm curious. I have no reason to believe that there's not a cow over there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come over there and try to grab this girl and we'll go back to my place. Right. And they'll try to bring him back into their harem. So here's a question in that. Yeah. This is something I have done just trying to especially if I've not seen a lot. I know there's moose in the area, but I haven't seen bulls. Maybe it's warm. I'm trying to get something moving. Yeah. Is in my calling, I uh, instead of raking, mm-hmm. I'll do some some smashing. Yeah. Not, and not just breaking stuff. Like if I can get a log to break across a tree trunk, but I'm literally, I'll pick up a log and just start smacking it across a tree trunk. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that echoes across the valley I'm in. Yeah. And then I grunt. Yeah. Now what I found interesting with that cow, because when I first, I would call with her in there. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, first I want to see what her response is, but I also want a bull to come in. Mm-hmm. So I tried, you know, I would try real light one night and the next night I'd go crazy because, yeah. like you yeah. say, I don't know what they're going to respond to. Right. right? You're just, yeah. You're just probing. You're just trying yeah, exactly. different sounds. Like, well, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in some nights I would just like every 15 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd, 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 you know, I'd glass every five minutes and then every 15 minutes I'd let out a grunt. Right. Just a little one, then a big one maybe, and, you know, just different direction, whatever, just trying to wake the woods up and hope, get these moose into the rut, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but do you ever do that where you take a, take a log and smack it across a tree trunk? Um, so what I like doing, if, if I'm in the spruce trees, those mm-hmm. real dry, tender limbs on the oh, bottom, yeah. those just pop and yep. sound like a gunshot in right. the woods. And a lot of times when they're walking through the spruce trees, a bull with a big rack, he's not even trying to rake and you'll just hear pop. Pop, pop, oh, right. snap, crash. He's just walking through the woods and those antlers are catching those dry spruce limbs. I can't even imagine walking through the woods with a, yeah, with that on my head. Yeah, can you imagine that? It's, yeah, anyway, but that's, 
that simulates a bull just walking through the woods. Right. I don't usually do that for raking, but mm-hmm. I, I know guys that do and they have success at it. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad way to go. Okay. Um, the one thing that I'll say about grunting is you have to form a scene. You have to get a simulation going. Like mm-hmm. when I'm calling moose, I'm in the mindset of what's, what, what am I doing as a bull? And believe it or not, I learned a lot of this from listening and watching a lot of elk hunters. Okay. I think moose hunters in general are kind of behind the ball, behind the curve, if you will, with how you think about moose calling. A lot of people think, well, you just have to make some noise and grunt and then wait a while and then make some noise and grunt. They yeah. just do the same thing every single season. And sure, it works when they're all rutted up. And oh, when and there's some guys have a spot and no method yeah, and they yeah. kill moose every year. And I'm not saying that that doesn't work, but what I've done and what I really enjoy doing is trying to form a scene, right? Mm-hmm. You, you got to build up a picture in your own mind and you simulate a cow and then you simulate a bull coming in to check that cow out. And then you simulate a different bull coming in. Mm-hmm. Elk hunters do that a lot That's with, true, they with do. calling elk. And they'll be in the hardwoods, you know, especially archery hunters. And they'll make this whole scene and they've got one guy that's cow calling, right. one guy that's bugling and grunting and raking and carrying on. And they'll call these bulls in on a string right. because the bull thinks there's a whole group of elk up here and there's a big herd bull and he's trying to come in here and kick me out and take all my cows. I've tried to do the same thing and mm-hmm. learn how to do that with moose. It's an interesting idea. And it, I, yeah, like I said, it works really well. Yeah, I'm usually just trying to like, all right, there's a single bull here and he wants he yeah. wants to fight, right? Yeah. Which right. which can work a lot of the time. Yeah. I, I, again, I'm not trying to say that that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, dump water on anybody's parade right, who's right. had success at that. That's fine. I'm not saying that you need to change either. I'm just explaining what I've um, you know, experimented with really over yeah. the last couple of years, and I've I've seen it work. Um, but also building a cadence in your calling. Mm-hmm. I don't think that grunting once or twice and then waiting ten or fifteen minutes is a good idea. I've almost never heard moose do that. They do it every once in a while, like that mm-hmm. bull did at about midday when I heard him and then I saw him. He grunted one time that I could tell. Now he might have been grunting a lot quieter up yeah. in those woods that I couldn't hear him. But usually when a bull is turned on, you'll hear him, wah, wah, wah. and you'll hear him like every other step as he's walking. If he's mm-hmm. turned on, then he'll grunt a lot and he'll go through that cycle and then he'll stop and he'll be quiet and he'll listen. And so usually in a raking and grunt sequence, you know, right. I'll, I'll usually rake first and trash a bunch of brush, make my noise, mm-hmm. wait about, I don't know, 10 seconds. And then I'll grunt. And the timing of the grunts and how close together they are is directly proportionate to how turned on that moose is. If you hear him grunt, and then it goes three or four seconds, Mm -hmm. and then he grunts, then he's, yes, he's responding and he's turned on, but he's not like all hyped up and his eyes aren't open wide and he's ready to fight yet. When they're ready to fight, it's... Oh, that's true. It oh, is. And they are moving. Like they, that's the closer together the grunts are, the more upset he is, mm-hmm. the more turned on that bull is. And so earlier on in my calling sessions, like in day one and two, my grunts were farther apart. I wasn't, you know, trying to simulate a real upset and mad bull. Right. By the end of day three, when I was simulating two bulls and a cow together, 
both of those bull grunts that I was making in those two different spots, they were close together. Like Mm -hmm. I was simulating two charged up bulls that were ready to go at it, right? So that that plays a big role. But when I'm grunting, um, no matter if I'm grunting close together or farther apart, I don't ever make any less than 20 grunts consecutively. I'll usually go 20 to 25. And if I'm really trying to pull one out and work on Mm -hmm. one, I'll go upwards of 30 or 35 grunts. And again, you just have to play it by ear. And if he's not responding that much, then don't overdo it. Yeah. You know, don't, if he grunts back five times consecutively and then he shuts up, then you grunt back 10 times and just try to push him a little bit and try to, try to work him up. But don't hear him grunt five times and then you grunt 25. Right. You know, just, just try to work it proportionately with how upset he's, he is. So, you know, the area I was hunting, right? It's a, it's a heavily wooded valley. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So my thought, with some clear cuts, right. that's what it is. You know, there's bottom land and swamp and river and all that kind of stuff, which is a typical Alaska Valley. Oh, yeah. Um, Lots of water. Especially in the interior. My thought process, you know, and each night I was trying something different, like I said, but my thought process between with the, um, I would I would do a heavy call, you know, breaking mm-hmm. some brush, smacking a log across the tree, trying to get, you know, and get some big heavy grunts, Yeah, you know, three or four after that. And then I'd sit for a while. And the reason I would just grunt every 10, 15 minutes with the thought process of there's a bull, and that would be a lot quieter than maybe what I did with the call, right? Yeah. Is, okay, if I've got a bull coming from a mile or two away, which is usually what happens, they're, yeah. they're coming from a long ways away, yeah. is I, I need them to know I'm still here. Right. But I'm not just going to sit here and grunt every minute, because right. then that could be overdoing it. Yeah. And I just want to grunt enough that if a bull's coming in, I'm going to get a response yeah. Then I can start working him. That was yeah. my thought process with that. Yeah. Yeah. So usually in between grunt sets, it, okay, so just for just for the bull calling side of yeah. it, whether you're doing this only bull calling or whether you're trying to work in cow calls, whatever, in between grunt sets depends on how upset you're trying to sound. Mm-hmm. If you rake and and grunt like a bull every... 20 to 25 or 30 minutes, mm-hmm. let's just say 20 to 30 minutes, then that's a somewhat charged up bull, but he's not upset yet. Right. When, on the night of day three that we killed that bull, I was bull calling, either simulating one bull or another every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I, I was doing, you know, 10 minutes, rake and grunt. Then I'd go over there and 10 minutes later, rake and grunt. Five minutes later, nice cow call. Yeah. You know, kind of in a different direction. And, you know, long, long cow calls or short cow calls, that's something I'm still experimenting with. This bull liked the 10 to 15 second cow calls. Not, I'm sorry, 10 to 15 seconds. What am I thinking? Five to five to 10 seconds. Okay. Not super, super long. Um, some guys will... Some guys will call and they, they do a cow call and it'll go on for as long as they can let the yeah, breath as out. long as they can make it go. Um, usually when I'm cow calling, I'm trying to count in my head, all right, one, two, three, four, five, and I'll, I'll go seven or eight, you know, somewhere in there. And that's enough. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the important part, and, I, and I, I've, I didn't realize this until I actually heard cows call in the woods with my own ears, but cows don't sound just like a, they don't sound like that. They've got a, they've got a lot of variation. It's, 
and they they go on and on like that. And at the end, there's kind of a kind of yeah, a, it kind of sputters to a yeah, stop. yeah, kind of a blow at the end of it. Like no, man, I'm out of breath now. Right? You can always tell whether it's an actual cow or another moose hunter by how it stops. Usually, you know, yeah. it'll, if it's a moose hunter, it'll just yeah, it just stops. It just he runs stop. out of breath and he yeah. stops instead of quieting it down and then letting right. out a few more like low pitch, yeah. lower pitched. Yeah, exactly. Almost grunts. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it does sound like that. And, and you know, I think it's Fish and Game has a few videos up somewhere. Okay. Somebody did that I was looking at this summer just out of curiosity, and they set up some game cameras, and they got a bunch of moose on one game camera, and there's cows talking like crazy on that game camera footage. It's really good to listen to that because you can hear not every cow call is a long, drawn-out ordeal. No. Some of them are just... And that's it. And they just make these little cow calls here and there when they're all herded up. Right. And so I, I experimented more with that under 10 second cow call. Mm-hmm. I, I, I apologize. I was saying 10 to 15 seconds earlier. It was not that long. They were shorter. Okay. Um, I like what you're saying about the elk and kind of thinking yeah. about that. Yeah. You know, most moose hunters are not, you know, you can't really hunt elk the way you can hunt moose. Right. And that's probably the reason a lot of it's different. But in your kind of situation, it's really what you're trying to do. You know, to hunt yeah. elk, you almost have to get to where the elk are, right. then call them to you. Right. With moose, you they'll come in from a long. They'll ways come away. in from a long ways away, and I think that's where a lot of that, you know, the methodologies tend to change. And hey, if you mm-hmm. watch what's the video, the Love Thunder and Bulls. Yeah. If yeah. you watch something like that, if you're in the right spot at the right time, mm-hmm. all you got to do is smack trees and grunt a few times. Yeah. And there'll be bulls all around you. Yep. All you have to do is gather firewood and break some twigs and exactly. you'll probably have a bull come into camp. I mean, hey, there's, sto- there's, there's stories of moose coming into chainsaws. Yeah. There's yeah. stories of moose coming into people chopping wood. Yeah. Right. Just like there are stories of elk coming into a novice, you know, um, brand new elk hunter that right. doesn't even know how to bugle very well. You could scream into a toilet paper roll and probably call in a um, a, a, a redded up bull elk in Yellowstone at yeah. the right time. Right. You know, it, it doesn't take, it doesn't take extreme tactics and experience yeah. to do it when they're all keyed up. The difference is going to be when they're playing hard to get. That's when the really good elk hunters and the really good buglers and the really good um, simulations mm-hmm. play out. That's when you're going to call out those bulls that are a little more savvy and maybe not quite as turned on unless yeah. you get them there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying there. The main thing with moose hunting to keep in mind and, and, and however you call and whatever you do, develop a system, work on it, always learn and be patient. Right. That's the number one thing with moose hunting is you've got to give them time to come in. Moose don't do anything fast until it's time to shoot them. Yeah. It seems like they don't, they don't move around fast. They don't run anywhere fast. When a bull has cows, he is there, yeah. period, end of story. And when you start to call to him, he might come in right away, but right. chances are more often than not, it's going to be a slow process. And you're going to have to convince him that leaving what he's got is a better decision. Right. And that's, that's not easy to do. It's funny. That last bull I shot, um, they, there was three bulls. They weren't responding to grunts or anything, right? Yeah. And it was like you say, like I'd been, gl- I'd seen them, I'd glassed them, I rode towards them on my wheeler, making sure that, you know, not getting too close, yeah. right? To yeah. jump off and to start hiking because it was a w- open country. 
And yeah, until I got close and they weren't even looking at me. Yeah. They just had decided it was time to get up and move. As soon as I was getting ready to line up for a shot, what do they do? Oh, let's go over the ridge. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And then I had to run around and yeah, that was a whole nother, that's yeah. a whole nother story, but yeah. Get into position to shoot. Yeah. That's but right. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's patience. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, I was going to give that spot three full days of morning and evening calling before right. I decided, okay, now we'll go up and we'll walk a mile or more mm-hmm. um, down this valley and then we'll try to call somewhere else. Yeah. You can call moose in from over a mile away. And I don't know how far away this bull was. If he had sat in the trees right across the river for the last three days, mm-hmm. Or if he was just moving through there with that cow or following that right. cow and he just happened to come through on day three. I don't know. That's the beauty of moose hunting is really, I, I know what my tactics were, mm-hmm. but I don't know really what he was doing. Yeah. I don't know exactly what got him to step out. He might've just come out to any old call at that point. Right. Y- you don't know, but you build a repertoire in your own head of, okay, well, three years ago, I did this calling sequence and I called mm-hmm. a bull out. That seemed to work really well. And then I did it again last year. So that's what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to stick to this system until it stops working. Yeah. And you have to just trust that. You have to be patient. You can't be impatient and, all right, well, I'll call here this morning and then I'll go sit somewhere else tonight and I'll call somewhere else. Do the same thing. Stick to a spot for at least a few days. Yeah. Yeah. My personal personal preference is if I've got three days at a good spot that I know should hold moose, Mm -hmm. trust it. Trust your first instinct and don't deviate from that. And, right. you know, the, the client on, in, the, in the middle of day three, you know, he, like I said, he was starting to get a little bit nervous and man, we've been sitting on this river for three days and we've only seen a couple of caribou cross and we've, yeah, we've had the moose come through camp, but we haven't seen anything yet. You know, mm-hmm. we certainly haven't heard any bulls up to this point. Right. I told him, I said, man, we just have to be patient. We got to wait him out. Moose are slow until yeah. they're not. And we, we're trying to build them up to that point. And we don't know. There could be one right over there right now. Right. And as it turns out, there was. You know, it's been, um, what you mentioned about moose activity in the cold. Yeah. Right. Um, when I was out camping earlier in those season, mm-hmm. the coldest night yep. of the year at that point or of, that, yeah, of yeah. the fall. Yeah, up to that point. I mean, I had, you know, when I got up the next morning, there was water frozen on my tent. It was a cold night. Mm-hmm. And that night I had, three or four moose within a hundred yards of me. Granted, I couldn't see half of them. It was too thick. It was a whole, right. yeah. you know, I got riled up. I was excited and then yeah. I didn't see any more moose. Yeah. But With, yeah, that, that temperature does get them yeah. moving. And you know, that the later in the season you get, you just have to keep that right. in your head. Hey, it's getting better every day. The conditions mm-hmm. are getting better every day. You just, you can't give up. It's a yeah. mental game. It's, it is absolutely a mental game. Um, another close friend of mine uh, that I was in touch with via inReach while I was gone, um, I, was in, I was texting him back and forth and he was having the same troubles, but he'd been moose hunting in one spot for a lot mm-hmm. longer than I'd been out at my spot guiding. And he was responding with me and we were going back and forth and he said, man, I've been hunting here for so many days and I haven't seen anything. I've seen one cow and calf and I haven't seen or heard any bulls. I've got no response to the calls. The day before season closed at last light, he called out a bull and shot it. Mm-hmm. The day before yeah. season ended, you know, no response until right before yeah. then. He didn't hear it grunting hardly. It grunted a couple of times and then came charging through. As it walked through the spruce trees, he heard the limbs busting off of the trees and it mm-hmm. stepped out and he shot it, you know, right at last light. 
had he given up a couple of days before that, right. he'd been hunting for almost two weeks well, in the spot and seen no bulls. Yeah. Had he quit and said, man, yeah, I just, I don't know. You just got to stick with it. Well, that's the thing. If you're seeing cows, yeah. you know the bulls have to be there yeah. somewhere. Especially yeah. if you're seeing cows and calves. Yeah. The bulls are there somewhere. Yeah. They're just not ready to come out. Usually. Yeah. Because either, you know, because like I said, the rut is in a period of time. Mm-hmm. And then the cold, it really affects their activity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and sometimes getting down to the bottom where it gets real cold at night mm-hmm. might be what brings them out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I hunted the same spot for, you know, I don't know, 10 days. Yeah. And I I was getting discouraged. Yeah. Like, am I even going to go out tonight? You know, by yeah. the end of the day, I'd right. psych myself back into it. I'd get out there. All right, tonight's going to be the night. Right. Or, you know, tonight could be the night. Yeah. I'm at least going to see a cow, you know, and then I'd sit there and finally started bringing books with me. Because <laughs> yeah. at some point, you got to yeah. sit there and read a book or else it's just Yeah. Yeah. It drives you depressing. crazy. Yeah. It drives you crazy. Yeah, that this that this last spring I had a brown bear client that I was hunting with, and I'll, I'll kind of end this with saying this: um, we were over a week into our brown bear hunt, and the weather had been really, really bad. We had high winds and heavy rain, and we'd lost a couple of days to really just atrocious weather conditions. And every morning we'd get up after being up till you know late, late hours of the morning hunting till mm-hmm. absolute dark. And we'd get up the next morning and head back out there and go back to our spot and sit. And he mentioned something. He, he, he made a remark that I probably will never forget. And I've used it on every hunt since then. But he mentioned, he said, you know, this is a mental game. He said, and, you know, you just get up the same every day and you do your thing every day. Yeah. And I see you doing that. And you're the leader, he said. But in my mind, I've got to tell myself I've got to have the same enthusiasm on day 10 to go hunting as I did on day one. Right. Like, this is all brand new. You know, I get to go bear hunting. And now you're a week and a half into it and you haven't shot a bear yet. Right. Well, day 10 could be the day. Yeah. But if you don't get up or if yeah. you don't get into your spot in the prime time, then you might miss your you chance. Know, it's, it's, it's amazing how much, when you go somewhere by yourself yeah. versus with somebody, right. there's that it may never be said, yeah. But it's so much easier to get up and get out on time, yeah. When you got somebody with you, yeah. You get that pressure of yeah. okay, I have to do this because this guy's relying on me for right. this hunt, right? Yeah, and th- and that's good for me as the guide. That that that's what motivates me. Yeah. Obviously, that's you're not that's, doing your job. That's if you my don't. job, right. right? I'm up and waking him up before first light, um, and you know, and he's he's following my example. But if I quit because oh man, yeah, well I've been. Calling Moose here, doing right. the same thing for three days and, you know, but no, you have to, nope, today's a brand new day. There could be a brand new right. bull that came over that hill mm-hmm. over the dark and he could be right in our valley today and I have to call him out. That's so, my job. Did you guys do afternoon breaks? We pretty much sat on the gravel bar all day long. I mean, when you've yeah. got a client that's paid that much money to kill a moose, Well, right? yeah, you got to give it 100%, yeah. you know, and we, we would we would sit out there. There would always be at least one of us out there, you know, if I had to get up and go to the tents and, and go uh, right. grab some more water or snacks or something, he'd stay out there. Usually it was me. I just sat out there all day long. Um, the, the first day after we called in the morning, it set in really, really snowy, like mm-hmm. heavy snow and low fog. We couldn't see much. So we spent a few hours in camp that day in between calling morning and evening. But even with no visibility except a couple hundred yards, mm-hmm. we still called morning and night because we had enough shooting distance that 
had we called something out and we brought him in close, we still could have seen him. Right. Um, but we didn't sit out in the river all, all day on the first day. But after that, we did. Um, and, th- and then, you know, you just eat your snacks and drink your water and sit there and twiddle your thumbs and just glass. You know, you just and, have to watch. Yeah, read a book or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have anything to do. I just kind of sat there. And I, at, at one point, a couple of the days, I had uh, decent sunshine. I got out my solar panel okay, and got go. a, you know, was able to charge my stuff and air out my feet and my Crocs. And right. that was nice for about an hour. And then it got cold again. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, and, and and one final thing that I'll end this on before we before we end and wrap up this hunt is um on day three when he was starting to get discouraged and mm-hmm. I told him, I said, Look, you know, I gave him the gave him the patience talk. You right. know, hey, you know, we just try to give him a little pep rally and hey, mm-hmm. just stick with it. You know, this is moose hunting, this is how it is. We'll we'll do our best and that's all we can do, and we just have to trust God to do the rest. And I said, Well, let, let's let's say a quick prayer. And we prayed and I said, Lord, please bring us out a legal bowl that we don't even have to wonder how wide he is. Oh, there you go. Sure enough, that night he stepped out and the client said, does he have enough brow tines? I said, he sure does. He's got four and three. Nice. He's killable. And I, and he's, he's close to 50. I, I, I wasn't kind of hard to tell exactly how wide he was. I, I knew he was approaching 50, if not, yeah. ended up being 50 on the nose and four brow tines on one side and three on the other. It's nice to get your client a 50, it's a 50 plus. Yeah. Then, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's 50 or X number of brow right. tines. You know, I don't want to give away too much about the area, yeah. but um, yeah, some areas in the state, it's three brow tines, some areas it's four, but um, he would have been legal in either one because he had four. So yeah. Yeah. The Lord provided us with a great bowl and a great trophy and that client is now back in his home state, I'm sure, and uh, got pictures. He's got yeah. a story. Yeah, he's got pictures, and he'll have the mount here in a few months. He had and a, uh, he got a bear. Yeah, he got snowed him. on. Yep. I told him, I said, man, you got the whole gambit of Alaska weather. You got snow, you got rain, you got wind, you got sunshine, and you got two great trophy animals. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's a pretty good hunt. It was a good hunt. So now on to brown bears, yeah. which. I guess that'll wrap up our episode for this week, guys. But there's yeah. a little foreshadowing. Yeah, there's your foreshadowing. Um, hang with us till uh, Thursday. Yeah. This is when our next episode is going to drop. Right. Episode 51 is going to be about fall brown bear hunting, which yeah. is what I'm headed off to next here about a week or so. Sweet. And uh, so we'll get into that. We've got some questions from folks, and we'll tackle some of the specifics about what's different and what you need to prepare for for a fall coastal Alaska brown bear hunt. So until next week. Get out there, get after it, and good luck. Alright folks, we all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and actions securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, 
such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.